you know, if somebody came and offered me a billion dollars to buy Explorium, would I say yes? Yes. <laughs> you also, know. if that same millionaire is looking for a podcast, <laughs> we are not opposed. Well, I tell you, I, okay, I'll make a deal with you guys right now. If Constellation Brands comes to explore him and buys me for a billion dollars, I promise you I will come and buy the Tap Takeover podcast for for a million dollars a piece. Okay. Yeah. There you go. On, on, on tape. That is on tape. Okay, you got that. Sold. <laughs> Not to be a cheap bastard after getting a billion dollars. <laughs> Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. It's so big. Like, so big. We have taken you, our faithful listeners, to some pretty interesting places in the past. Whether it be the middle of nowhere to visit Central Waters in Amherst, Wisconsin, or even the 175,000 square foot barrel warehouse in Chicago to visit with Goose Island. But today, we are going to the mall. talk with owner Mike Doble of the Explorium Brew Pub in Greendale, Wisconsin. Opened in 2016 by Mike and his wife Joan and located inside of the Southridge Mall, the folks at the Explorium are dedicated to the principles of exploring, tasting, and discovering all of the experiences and flavors that life has to offer. And as such, they have developed a beer menu which works hand-in-hand with a wonderful dining experience. Today we'll be exploring some of those flavors with a live tasting while we discuss the benefits and challenges of operating in a shopping center, some Florida brewery collaborations, social media do's and don'ts, and of course, the great globe heist of 2017. Mike, thanks for joining the Tap Takeover podcast. I'm happy to be here, man. Did you say not happy to be here? No, I'm happy to be here. Happy, happy, happy. Hashtag mall beer. I think we've got to start with a question that we usually save till the end, but since you brought out your collection here, let's just go straight to talk about your cellar. And you, as we were setting up here, you said you rarely actually drink or actually drink from your cellar. So let's let's talk about some of the stuff that we have here and some of the beer that uh, has inspired you. Yeah, right on. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. First of all, it's awesome to have you guys here. When when you when you own a brewery, you end up getting just beer fatigue. We taste beer all the time. When we do all of our quality control testing, we do it early in the morning. So uh, you know, by the time you get to the afternoon, it's time to relax. You know, I typically you know gravitate towards uh, cocktails or bourbon. You know, as far as my cellar goes, it's funny because my brewers are always getting on me because I'm I got too big of a collection collecting in the cellar because people give you bottles and you know and I I see a beer that I really like and I mean I there's a vast array of beers that I really like so people always ask me all the time what's your favorite style of beer I don't have a favorite style my favorite style is one that's been made well and tastes good so I kind of brought out some beers that inspire me out of my cellar first of all the brewery out in California does some great beers that's a uh, that, that is a Flemish red you know my dad was an army guy so we ended up living all over the world while my formidable years from sixth grade to when I graduated from high school was in Belgium the Belgian style beers are near and dear to my heart. Um, one of my favorite styles is the Flemish Red. Generally, they're primary fermented um, and then put into secondary with a slow-acting yeast called Britannomyces, and they just keep great, create all these you know great complex flavors. They're generally uh, aged in oak. So if you ever seen those big oak uh, fermenters called footers, that's how they're aged. And the brewery does a great job with their Flemish Red. One of my other favorites is uh, Rodenbach. So I pulled out a, uh, a bottle of the brewery's Old Tart, which is uh, one of my favorites on the planet. I'd have to say Rodenbach's probably more favorite of mine, but this is in my cellar because it's harder to get. I saw it, I grabbed it, so it, um, one of those inspirational beers. Yeah, so the brewery has, has inspired you to do some of the, I don't know, some of the, the sour things that you guys have been mixing with uh, 1840. You guys did a collaboration there? It, exactly, yeah. It's one of the hard things about owning a brewery that doesn't do souring is that if you introduce souring agents into your brewery, there's a chance that you could get a problem with beers that are soured unintentionally. Um, so we're really careful about not bringing souring agents into the brewery. But when 1840 announced that they were opening and I met Kyle, um, I actually met Kyle through the crafter space. Just an awesome guy, very skilled, 
does sours, and all he does is sours. And so to collaborate with him and do some really cool things like a sour our scotch ale and do some stuff like that, stuff I've always wanted to do, it was really a cool opportunity. Um, so we've had some sours on tap here. We have a dedicated sour line. If Kyle's got the beer available, we put it on tap. Otherwise, uh, I, w- I, w- I wish, you know, maybe one day we'll open a second location where we can do some sours of our own. But until then, you know, I just kind of live vicariously through Kyle and hopefully he'll sour some stuff uh, for me. We can put it on tap here. So, Well, thanks for sharing this one because this oot tart is absolutely fantastic. I, we've all had a little bit of trouble, some of us getting into the very, very sour beers. But uh, we find that the tart, the fruity ones, are, are kind of our gateway into that, that beer style. And this is a fantastic example. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I like this one. That's why it's in my cellar. It's just a really great, made, well-made beer. So, as we enjoy uh, the brewery's Flanders Red, let's learn a little bit more how you got started, Mike, into brewing. Like, what's your background? Did you homebrew at all? You know, I, I kind of had a little bit of an advantage. Uh, my parents started a homebrew store in uh, the early 90s called the Brew Shack in Tampa, Florida. The Brew Shack was a kind of a labor of love of my older brother Johnny and he kind of sucked my parents in to help him with financing and get the thing going and the reality is, is that was kind of their first step into the beer culture before that it was just a little bit of home brewing my brother was an avid home brewer and whatnot but because they were tied up with all their resources into this homebrew store for birthdays and Christmas and whatever all I got was homebrew kits so you know the first the first birthday was you know the beginners kit the Christmas after that was the advanced kit and then you know after that was all these beer recipes that they would box up so some of them were partial mash so it was a little you know it was a can of extract it was a a bag of grains and then the little bags of hops and whatnot you know I kind of dipped my toe in the water doing those kits from their homebrew store I probably homebrewed beer, and I and I actually made a really awesome replication of Pete's Wicked Ale. I don't know if you guys remember oh, that yeah. beer for before your time. Oh, absolutely. But, oh, I love Pete's Wicked Ale. Oh, well, before it was acquired and the, the recipe got super dumbed down, that was before the days of Untapped and whatnot. So, you know, people really didn't know it got dumbed down, but I could taste the difference. I don't know if you guys could. But I made a super good uh, replication of Pete's Wicked Ale, and then... After about five years of brewing, I stopped for a while, busy with life and kids and blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, my mom and dad and my brother ended up opening Tampa Bay Brewing Company. And that was a brew pub in Ybor City on the east side of downtown Tampa in the kind of little party district. You know, for, for us, it would be Brady Street, right? It's kind of that area where all the college kids go and whatnot to drink and, uh, you know, good good bars and everything else so they had this great brew pub down there me from afar watching what was going on with the brew, with the beer scene and the brewing culture my family owns this brew pub you know it was always in the back of my mind i want to do this someday in the meantime i'm living here in wisconsin raising a family working as a civil engineer living in my cubicle farm in uh, 2014 i was pretty much fed up with what i was doing my mom and dad and my brother wanted to build a production brewery so they were ready to graduate from the brew pub to this production brewery and my mom called me and said hey we need some help. We'd love to have you help us, you know, get this this brewery done. I'll cut out the gory details, but long story short, in 2014, my wife and I moved our family down to Tampa. I designed and built this new brewery for them. When it was all done, I helped my mom get the restaurant open. We came back here to Wisconsin, settled, you know, we kept our house here. So we came back to our home, settled down, and I sat down with the wife one night. And I'm like, we don't have that kind of group of in Milwaukee that they have in Tampa. You know, there's a lot of brew pubs and breweries and whatnot, but nothing that's, you know, the same as what they do. And I was like, you know, there's an opportunity in the market to do that, and I really want to do it so bad. So we ended up finding, um, actually, a a good business partner, a friend of mine for 15 years. He said, hey, man, I got a little cash. You got the desire. You want to get it done? Let's do it. So, you know, looking around, I mean, we looked all over. Um, I'll save you some of the details on it, but we looked all over Milwaukee. We looked downtown. When Lackey, you remember Lackey and Joy's on Water Street? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Lackey and Joy's on Water Street, I heard it was closing. I immediately left my office, ran over there to go check it out because that would have been like oh my god yeah water street this brew up oh my god it had already been snapped up by a developer no opportunity there i looked at a place in tosa i looked at 84 south which is on 84th and Layton, not far from here timelines were looking goofy and uh through a friend of a friend 
kind of uh, mentioned that Southridge Mall was looking, and I'm like, oh, Southridge Mall, I haven't been there in like a dozen years, you know? And uh, the mall manager ended up calling me and saying, hey, I know you haven't been here in a while, but check it out. We got great parking, we got a great outside patio space, we got this great spot, we can accommodate you, we really need a local brand in the mall. You know, that was one of our big questions, is how, how a brewery ends up in the mall. And I think he answered it to some degree. And, and you know, it, we can see it now, and we see this beautiful patio out back, and, you know, we see the, the fantastic layout that you have in here. But, I mean, what did this look like when you first walked in? This must have just been a shell of a former store of some sort. It's a, it's a double unit, right? Yeah, so, so um, when I first walked in here, it was built out as a Ruby Tuesday. So Ruby Tuesday is a bar, a salad bar, and a bunch of booths, right? Um, and when I walked in, I'm like, ooh, you know, this is kind of small. It was 4,500 square feet. And I said, uh, this, I can't make it work in here. Well, what if the unit next door was available? I'm like, ooh, if they're moving out, we could add another 1,500 square feet. And I was like, okay, now we're up to 6,000-ish, and uh, that's okay, but... I need space to store our beer. I mean, we're on the second floor. I got all this beer. We got to put it in serving tanks. Well, we have a storage space right down below, coincidentally. So all these little pieces fell into place. In the end, we ended up with about 7,500 square feet. You know, 6,000 on this level. Down below, we have about another, you know, 1,500 square feet. Outside patio. I talked to the village of Greendale. They were super supportive about doing an outside bar. And, uh, you know, parking came, you know, we have ample parking. We got all this stuff. So everything just kind of fell into place. And then I'm like, okay, wait a second. What's the price tag of this joint? You know, the the mall kind of came out with a a very good offer for us to, you know, to entice us to get in with some assistance to help build it out. Very fair rent. Um, And I talked to a lot of other brewery owners. I know what they pay for rent. Our rent was very fair. And, uh, this is a great spot. I got walked by traffic. I got, you know, normal everyday people, which for me is a big part of my brand is getting normal everyday people to come in and try something new. You know, all that stuff is awesome. How, how big of a role does educating your customer come into play here at the Explorium? You know, it, it's it's huge. So here's, here's, what I, here's what I say to people. As a brewery owner, I missed the chapter on you got to open your brewery in a crappy industrial space, right? I missed that chapter. <laughs> Right? How many breweries do you know have opened up in an industrial space or an underutilized area or you know whatever else? We're in like prime retail space. Well, it's all about cost, right? So that was going to be my big question is malls are notoriously expensive, yet you were able to work out a reasonable rent compared to everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I mean the reality is it, it's a cost benefit to the property owner, right? Property owner sees a cool local brand that wants to open. And I'm a cool local brand that wants a reasonable rent so I don't have to open up in a crappy industrial space, right? Um, So that kind of goes back to that the regular people, right? A lot of people, when they drive by that brewery that's opened up in an industrial area, you know, they're a little intimidated. I mean, they're not craft beer drinkers, and if they walk in and... You know, they're, they're going into this space that only has beer and what whatnot. You know, it's a little intimidating. So what we try to do is build a brand that's not intimidating. You, you know, you walk by in the mall and you look inside, you see brewing tanks, you see a brew house, but you see this nice, warm, comfortable space with, you know, people having a good time and talking. You know, it invites people in. If you notice when you walk by in the corridor, if you look towards our pizza area, you'll see the fire. When you're inside at the bar and you look towards the fireplace, you see the fire. Fire's like, you know, people are like moths to fire, right? <laughs> so as a designer, you know, I try to bring, you know, those elements in. With the end goal of just enticing somebody to at least stop, check things out, give it a try, and hopefully they discover that it's something they like. And so far, so good. I mean, we've brought in, I mean, a big part of our brand is educating people about what we do and that we don't put any crap in our beer, we don't put any, you know, corn syrup, rice syrup, preservatives, and all that other junk in our beer, and we can still make it taste like something that's palatable, something they're used to, something they've been sold by the big beer companies over all these years, and our hope is, is that if they try something and like it, they come back, and then eventually they try something new, and eventually we got them under our wing, and we have them into the fold, into the craft beer scene. So now they're going to go to that brewery that was built up in the industrial space, and they're not intimidated because I like craft beer. I'm in the fold. I'm part of the culture. You know, I'm part of this, and they can go and visit all those other places. That's why, when you, I know you guys notice this. I'm very much about supporting other breweries. 
all the time, every day. I visit them. When I do my Movember thing, I visit breweries to raise money for Movember. I do that because I'm all about building culture. And if I can build culture and I can get people to go to all those places and I can build more craft beer drinkers, then boom, we got it licked. You know, us as small breweries, you know, we can take on the big guys by educating people, giving them something that's palatable, creating this culture that's cool and local and you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. There's uh, not much to not like about it. You probably have more residential around you than most of the other breweries in the city, too, right? Yeah, and, and that's and that's one of the downsides to being in uh, to being in the mall is that you know we're in the southwest side. We're very much a bedroom community. Um, we're in an area where you know people go downtown to work, or they go to Northwestern Mutual on South 27th Street, or you know they go away from this area. So during the daytime, we're very quiet. One of the things we're doing to address that being so quiet because we still got to pay rent, right? Is we're selling some beer out in the market. Um, we're going to local bars and saying, hey, you know, you're in a busy area at lunchtime. We have this great lighter uh, ale that you could put on tap, and so we're doing some of that. Um, that's one of the hard parts about uh, being in this area versus, uh, you know, some of the other places that we could go is that, you know, daytimes can be a little slower, but it's also a good opportunity for us to bring in potential accounts and other people while it's quiet. My attention's not divided, and, you know, we can kind of present our brand to them. You know, we, we talk all the time about uh, gateway beers, you know, the beer that can get a person out of the macro scene and into the craft scene, or even get a beer drink, a, a wine drinker, or, you know, a, a liquor drinker into drinking beer. And it sounds like you're kind of positioning yourself as, as a gateway brewer, uh, a brewery that's going to be very accessible to folks who don't necessarily think about going to a brewery, who are now go- not going to be as intimidated about going to other breweries. And I think you can hear some of the success of that. You're going to hear it on the podcast today uh, because of the crowd noise. And, you know, everybody's here having fun. You've got a bags tournament going on. I mean, you guys are getting the butts in the seats. And that's, that's very admirable for a, for a first-year brewery. So yeah, thanks. I'm glad you tip, tip glad caps to you. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you appreciate that. And the thing is, is you know, one one thing that we, we try to do is not specialize in anything. You know, I, I hear it all the time about a brewery. Oh, well, those guys are really great with stouts or those guys are really great with IPAs or those guys are really great with German styles or those guys are really great with the Belgian styles and all that sort of thing. What we try to do is not specialize in anything. So you talk about gateway beers. We have 24 taps. We have 24 taps on all the time. Of those 24 taps, we always have three or four beers that if somebody walks up and says, hey, my my elderly mother only drinks Miller Lite, do you have something that she could drink because she wants a beer? I have a beer for that. You know, if somebody what, comes what up... What would that beer be? Um, so our, our Sutter Seeker Golden Ale is on all the time, and that's a really great alternative to, even though it's an ale and we're comparing it to a light American lager, it's a really great alternative to like Miller Lite. If somebody's looking to step out of that, you know, Miller Lite light range, then we'll offer them our Patagonian Hitchhiker Lager. It's a nice effervescent lager with a little bit of bite. goes really well with, with summertime and all those things we think about when we're thinking about light effervescent lagers. And then uh, our Cream ale, like I get a lot of people that come in and say, hey, I like craft beer. Spotted Cow is my go-to. And I'm like, well, that's great because we have a beer for that. Um, our beer is our cream ale. Our cream ale is a great heavy mouthfeel cream ale. Um, it doesn't have the same uh, cloudiness that Spotted Cow has or whatnot, but it's got a ton of flavor without being bitter, without being too hoppy. Just a little bit of sweetness to it, and people love it. Well, you're talking about all these different types of beers. One question that we always ask is, um, if you could take over the taps of the Tap Takeover podcast, what beers would you pick to take over those taps that would tell your story? Do you have more than 24 taps? Otherwise, well, I'll take them all over. We're going to limit you. We'll limit you to five. Okay, so if I had, if I had to put five beers on, and it, you know it's it's an interesting question because I walk into places all the time and say, hey, do a tap takeover, and they have five or six taps. If I'm going to do five or six taps, I will I would most likely do our Patagonian Hitchhiker Lager as our lighter style. I probably wouldn't do something as light as our Golden Ale or our Cream Ale. So I'd probably do the Lager. I'd probably do our Scotch Ale for that malt forward and low bitterness, nice drinking beer. For something dark, I'd probably do our Livingstone's Porter. It's a core brand. Um, it's a nice, easy drinking porter. You can't go wrong with it. It's not too much roastiness but not, and not too much sweetness. It's a nice balance. On the hoppy side, I would either suggest our Captain Kids IPA or our, or our Amelia's APA. Um, they're both great, crisp, hoppy beers. If they wanted to go really big and have something high alcohol, I always go with the barley wine. I love our barley wine. 
Um, it's really good. When our quad is on, to be honest with you, I probably suggest our quad over the barley wine, um, but it would kind of go between the two. And then uh, for that last one, I'd usually pick one of our specialty beers. Um, whether you got to get the beer nerds out of bed, right? So right, exactly. What would you put on that last tap? So that last tap would uh, be peanut butter stout or a coconut porter or a viracocha stout. You know, something that we have we've created some flavors with or invoked some, uh, you know, some thought process of that pastry stout, whether it's our donut or um, we actually have a Dulce de Leche stout that's very popular that's in the tank right now. S'mores Porter has been one of our popular beers last summer. You know, we kind of came out with S'mores Porter right about when, you know, spring just sprung and it's starting to get warm out. People are first starting to think about going out and camping. We brought out the S'mores Porter. That was uh, really popular for us. So, yeah, we, we always we always hit one of those taps that'll get the beer geeks to go check it out. I, I think you might have snuck 24 beers in there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go back to one of the things you said earlier about your space. You know, you're limited in space, but you still have a barrel aging program. Can you tell us about that? Uh, barrel aging-wise, we, we really don't have a spot to barrel age. You know, originally when I designed the place, you know, I had a spot set aside for barrel aging. You know, I figured we could fit about, you know, 30 barrels and whatnot. The reality is, is that I underplanned our space, as everybody does. And so what we did was, is we ended up carving out space in our dining room and our bar area to store the barrels. And so we put, uh, you know, we put... Is that what I'm sitting on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we can fit about four barrels by our fireplace and four, you know, another 12 barrels in the dining room and... You know, we kind of sock them into places where you wouldn't expect. And I don't know how many times I've had guests in the in the brew pub say, you know, hey, these barrels look really cool, you know, that's a nice decoration. I'm like, oh, don't screw with them. They got beer in them. They're doing the Lord's work right now. Right, exactly. Eventually, we do have, I have approached them all about getting some more space. Um, what's nice about our, I mean, we're in a million square foot commercial space. There's tons of room. You know, there's always people shifting around and whatnot. And actually, there's more room adjacent to us downstairs so that I can get my 48 or so barrels uh, stored in a nice climate-controlled, you know, lower-temperature environment. So that's that's my ultimate goal. But right now, we stuff them wherever we can. That's interesting you say that you actually expand within the mall. Now, is that your first choice, just to keep on growing in the mall or get a new location? You know, it, it, it's my first choice to expand here, only because, um, you know, in, in 2017, we brewed about 700 barrels of beer. Our brew house, our fermenter configuration and whatnot, we could probably do up to about 1,600 barrels in this facility, but we're limited for space for grain storage and for barrel storage and whatnot. So, yeah, my first choice would always be to, you know, expand here until we exceed the capacity of the brew house. So let's get back to the cellar because that's what we're really here for is to drink some beer. <laughs> well, we're here to drink your beer, but since you brought so, out your cellar. <laughs> let, let's uh, go into Inspiration Beer number two. All right, so Inspiration Beer number two. Having Being a guy that grew up in Belgium, I do have a favorite brewery that does Belgian-style beers. They're an extraordinarily small brewery down in Florida. Now, I'm talking domestic Belgian beers, right? These are Belgian styles. Obviously, so little history before I crack this bad boy open. Breweries in Belgium make one beer, right? So, you know, Chimay makes, you know, four beers, but Quack makes one beer. You know, so the breweries typically historically have made one or two beers. West Vleteren makes their they're West Vleteren 12, right? When I talk about Belgian breweries, I'm talking about Belgian-style beers. There are some really great breweries that do Belgian styles, like we talked about the brewery already. If you notice, two of the three beers I pulled out of the cellar are Belgian styles. Um, there's another great brewery, though. I know, the, I know the owner and brewer. He's an awesome guy. His name's Bob Sylvester. He has a brewery called uh, St. Somewhere down in Tarpon Springs, Florida, which is about 40 minutes northwest of Tampa. He, uh, he interestingly enough, has a very small brewery, but has beer in about uh, 28 states. So this is a 2008 um, Cezanne Athene from Bob Sylvester at St. Somewhere. It's a very light, effervescent Cezanne. Um, Cezanne being one of my favorite styles. We'll see how uh, much pressure this bad boy has. Now, now, this is, now this is interesting because Cezanne's don't normally age though. Um, Cezanne's do not normally age. Um, this particular Cezanne is bottle conditioned, so it will age in the bottle quite nicely. 
Um, this one's been in my cellar only only for about six months. I typically will not cellar a beer like this, but like I said, drinking beer or being around beer every day, I generally don't uh, drink a lot of beer. So you can give this one a try. This is uh, just a nice, easy drinking. Um, oh, wow. Just, it's, yeah, cheers. Cheers, cheers, yeah, cheers, cheers. guys. Thanks. To inspiration. To inspiration. So it's a little flat. Maybe it's not conditioning as well as it should. Yeah, what are you getting out for this uh, first impressions? So Saison style should be a little spicy, should be a little effervescent. You know, just a really nice mouthfeel. This one has not aged tremendously well. One of the dangers of celery beer. But, but the basic flavors are definitely there. There's, uh, there's it, yeah, you're getting that farmhouse kind of flavor, the, yep. a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of hay, a little, little grass. You get all those exactly. kind of those fun farmhouse flavors. You know, one of the interesting things to note, and I've had people mention this about my beers before, I get messages on Facebook all the time. If you look at my bottles, like this is the cherry chocolate stout, if you look at the top of that bottle, it says, always keep this beer cold and consume fresh. I, I put that on the bottle because I know what the beer tasted like when I put it in the bottle, and it was perfect to us. It's not to say that none of the beers that we put in bottles will age, but because of exactly what we just tasted here, this beer has lost its effervescence. It hasn't bottle conditioned the way I thought it might, and it's been sitting in my cellar for six months, but it probably should have been consumed about four months ago. So so we'll never see that, that cellar aging, cellarable symbol on, on one of the Explorian bottles? Huh? You know, you, you might. If we do the right beer that I feel comfortable with cellar aging, um, I'll be honest with you. I've had I've had several people with the uh, the, the bourbon barrel aged cherry chocolate stout say, "Well, I'm going to sell her. I don't care what you say." And I've I've told them. I said honestly, man, I, I think that beer will sell her very very well. Just don't let it get over 50 degrees. I mean, sell her it properly. You know, don't let it sit in a 70 degree closet. You know, but let it sit in a 50 degree cellar. I think that'll sell her just fine. We have a quad that we're getting ready to release, corked and caged. Yeah, kind of like you know you see some of the Belgian beers. Um, that might be one that we uh, we actually say allow this beer to age. So yeah, you might see that coming in the future. I mean, one step at a time. We're our one our one year anniversary was two weeks ago. I think this is a good time to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about your plans for the next year following this 2018, and we'll finish off your cellar collection here and uh, talk more about uh, exploring beer. So we'll be right back. Right on. Welcome to Beer News, certified fresh as of March 22nd. The readily available beer for this episode is Raised Grains Paradox Red, the GABF gold medal winning Imperial Red IPA. It's a full-bodied beer with a bright hop aroma and initial caramel notes that are enlightened by a slightly citrus acidic finish. In beer release news, solid non-fail stout is bottled, caked, and ready to be released. Join the Tap Takeover podcast at Mobcraft on Good Friday, March 30th at 7 o'clock for the release party. This epic Imperial Coffee Maple Stout clocking in at almost 12% ABV is sneaky smooth. It's brewed with local ingredients, including roast barley from Proximity Malt, maple syrup from Cal's Honey Farm, and a custom blend of coffee from Anodyne Coffee Roasting Company. Pre-orders are still available, but won't be for much longer, so make sure to order yours today. New Glarus has recently confirmed that Strawberry Rhubarb will be back out this April. Make sure you're asking when it will arrive at your favorite spots because, just like last year, it will go fast. Pro tip for the traders out there, Strawberry Rhubarb will be in high demand for out-of-state trading. This beer news has been full of great Central Waters news. Peruvian Morning, a bourbon barrel-aged coffee stout, makes its return within the next couple of weeks straight from Amherst. Crawlers are already available at the brewery, but four-packs will soon be in stores within the next week or two. We'd like to take it back for a moment to the third part of our Central Waters interview, episode 25. The fact that you guys are still very responsive to what your customers want, I think is probably the key to why you guys have stayed ahead of the curve. Well, I appreciate that, and that's a, that's a really nice try, but we're still not going to make a new England IPA. <laughs> we're still trying. We're still trying. Do you think it's a fat, or you think, think it's going to say, fat. yeah, yeah, yeah? I do. This is my. You're, first you're acting like you really yeah. don't want it to be a fat. This podcast I mean, I might be so good. What do you enjoy about it? Uh, you get more of the actual hop aroma, and not so much of the. Well, how is that different for you from a heavily hop pale ale or IPA? 
What makes it different? Uh, I, w- I would say apart? a lot of it's on the IBUs, the specific IBUs, right? So, so you're talking about bitterness. Yes, so you're getting Not definitely... Not happiness. You're talking about bitterness. Exactly. It's all about zero IBUs, I think, with the uh, hazy, fuzzy IPA. Okay. Um, you get so the, the, the funness of the... And the muddiness of the beer has nothing to do with what you enjoy. Well, I'm also a huge fan of Firkins, and, and on Firkins you get a very soft mouthfeel, which you're able to get out of a hazy kind of beer as well. It's full of flour. <laughs> that was gross. <sighs> no, when it's done well. But if we made a beer that was zero IBUs and super hops, yep. and it was crystal clear... Yeah, I would love it. But it wouldn't be a New England IPA and wouldn't catch the fat. Uh, well, fine. Right? Yeah. Let's dance with the that's, devil. That's what I don't like about the fat. <laughs> and you would that's still be like asking the us the same question. Is, you see it? The thing... So, this is my point. This is what I'm narrowing yeah. down to. What I don't like about the fat is the fat has nothing to do with the flavor. Yeah. And the abuse is that it's milky as shit. And people are drinking it because it's cool because nobody else would drink something that looks like that. It looks like you mix a bunch of Tums into a glass. And so the flavor is what everybody likes. That flavor is achievable in any number of ways. Flour? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> yes, um, but you could make a beer that's that that's presentable in terms of a clarity standpoint with that flavor yeah. profile, but it wouldn't match the style, so it would get rejected, and that's why I don't chase that yeah. trend. Sure. So trends aren't styles. Trends can turn into styles, and maybe I'll put my foot in my mouth in five years, and we're making a New England IPA that. <laughs> Looks like orange juice. I don't know. We'll, we'll pull this audio out. <laughs> yeah, I will Simon won't yeah, be here so. anymore, probably. <laughs> no. He keeps saying that. In breaking news, Central Waters has announced that they are brewing a hazy IPA. Reports out of Amherst are that Simon is still employed as head brewer. In upcoming beer events, join Eagle Park this weekend, Thursday, March 22nd through Saturday, March 24th, as they close up their Lincoln Warehouse tap room. Here's the beer release schedule for the weekend, and also, Chef Nathan Heck will be serving up a preview of their new food menu on Friday and Saturday. On Thursday, you'll be able to enjoy Double Dry Hopped Immortal Soul and Double Dry Hopped Set List. On Friday, Yabba Dabba Doo and Passion Fruit Milkshake. And Saturday, Huey Lewis and the Boozier and Mexican Chocolate Stout will be served. Join us for a private event at Tompkins Bar and Grill featuring a five-course Wing and beer pairing. Tickets are $30. Please call 414-258-9110 or Facebook message Flying Brian the Wing King to make reservations and prepay before seats are sold out. Mobcraft flagship beers will be featured along with a couple very limited beers. A special pouring of the Tap Takeover Podcast beer, the solid non-fail stout, will take place as we, the crew, will be recording a podcast at the event. Love the NFL draft? Love the share and show off your collection of beer? Join us then on Thursday, April 26th in Green Bay, Wisconsin, as we team up with Badger State Brewing for a bottle share and draft party. Tickets are $5 and bring two bottles from your collection to share. Badger State, as well as other breweries, will be donating special release beers to raffle off. If you don't have a beer to share or unsure of what you should bring, still come with a charitable heart and Badger State will help you with the bottle. Go to Badger State's Facebook page for event details and ticket link. Thanks for listening to this episode's edition of Beer News. All right, thanks, Jim, for another great edition of Beer News. I don't know how you do it, man. Awesome. All right, so we're back at Explorium, and we're going to finish off the cellar collection here. You want to tell us about the last one here, Mike? All right, so I, I have a beer from a brewery that recently fell into the realms of beers um, or breweries that I will, will never buy a beer from ever again. This is the last beer I have in my cellar from Avery Brewing. They were just acquired, and, you know, God bless them. You know, they reached the ultimate dream of getting bought out by, you know, another big brewery or mega alcohol conglomerate. And, you know, God bless them for it. But that just means that I won't buy their beer anymore. You know, I still love the guys. They're uh, they're awesome dudes. They make awesome beer. I'm sure the beer will get even better. You know, and some people misunderstand that from me. You know, I just don't support the mega alcohol conglomerates. You know, I'm all about the little guy. I mean, the little breweries that struggle. And so anyway, enough about my soapbox. I'm stepping down. Sure. I'm on the ground. Um... <laughs> So we have this mega awesome beer, probably my favorite beer on the freaking planet. 
um, which is the barrel-aged coconut porter from Avery Brewing. This beer inspires me at many levels. If you taste it... Well, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's cheers. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers to the little guy. Cheers, cheers to the little guy. So one of the things that's inspiring to me about this beer, it's a barrel-aged coconut porter. You know, we're so used to, as, you know, beer consumers and beer geeks that we are, we're so used to barrel-aged beers being very barrel-forward. You know, oh, that was aged in a bourbon barrel because it tastes like frickin' bourbon. I don't like beers like that. Well, let me restate that. <laughs> I love bourbon, so I like beers that taste like that, but to me that's not a beer that's kind of like a bourbonized beer. So you'll notice when you try my barrel-aged beers, the barrel is very subtle. The vanilla comes through, a little bit of the dryness from the barrel, the tanniness, the roastiness from the barrel comes through and whatnot. And I model my barrel-aged beers after this beer. It's one of those beers that's not overly barreled. You can taste the sweetness from the coconut. You can taste the porter. Um, you can still taste the bourbon in the background. You can taste the barrelness of it, but it's not like barrel forward. So I, just, I love the nose. Oh, it's a great beer. Oh, well, just the coconut is so well done in this. Yes, it's phenomenal beer. Phenomenal. Yes. I am so sad that I can't buy it anymore. But wait a second. You guys can buy it and bring it to me. <laughs> You're still going to drink it. So it is still drink it. Drink. So to everybody listening, you can so, buy it and bring it to Mike. So speaking yes. of that, will you be putting the Brewers Association Independent Craft Brewers uh, symbol on your labels? Yes. So you'll notice that every label that we put out from day one has had the independent seal on it. We actually started bottling our, we bottled our first beer in August of last year. I had the labels actually in the final proof for printing when that whole program started. I was brewery number, you know, 32 to adopt that. The email came into my inbox. I clicked the link. I said agree. I signed the agreement. I sent it back. And I got that graphics right away to add to all our labels. So we have not yet produced a beer with a label that doesn't have that seal on there. Will we always be independent? Yes. You know, if somebody came and offered me a billion dollars to buy Explorium, would I say yes? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I would expect those people like me who are very principled to never buy my beer again. And that's okay. Also, you know? if that same millionaire is looking for a podcast, <laughs> we are not opposed. Well, I tell you, I, okay, I'll make a deal with you guys right now. If Constellation Brands comes to explore him and buys me for a billion dollars, I promise you I will come and buy the Tap Takeover podcast for a million dollars a piece. Okay. Yeah. There you go. On, on, on tape. That is on tape. You got that. Sold. <laughs> not to be a cheap bastard after getting a billion dollars. <laughs> You guys are worth far more than that, though, but I'd lowball nah, you. Actually, <laughs> it's just business, Spoken right? like a well just business. business. Just business. Just business. Also, at that point, Jim, you'll be off the podcast. <laughs> ah. uh, Mike, uh, we're going to take your money, but we just cut Jim. <laughs> we'll be taking his share. <laughs> but th this, this beer is inspirational to me because of all those reasons I stated. It's very subtle in the barrel, very big and bold in the flavors that they promote on the bottle, which is coconut and porter yeah so it's awesome so if you ever taste a coconut porter from me so we have our toasted coconut porter on tap right now if i ever barrel age it it'll be like this i tried i strive to hit that I'm not sure we'll be successful the first time but that's uh, very good beer and i will say that uh you know as, as far as inspiration when we try the the cherry chocolate imperial stout that you did with uh, cigar city and the barrel age version that we did for our, our our promo video we really did notice that the subtlety of the barrel game it was there more to enhance the beer whereas you know like you said a lot of beers come out and it's just it's all about the barrel and the barrel's the star with these there's much more a, a complementary role for the barrel yeah and, and all all of my barrel aged beers will always be like that jim's drinking my uh, my vanilla you know three saints bay imperial stout that's a beer that we put into we put uh, four we filled four bourbon barrels of that beer we pulled it out as soon as we could start tasting the bourbon we aged it on some vanilla because i wanted that vanilla character one of my favorite beers too is uh, worldwide stout from dogfish head um, which is an independent brewery by the way um, and they've stayed there, which is really nice. Um, but, for now, for now. But that's a phenomenal beer. You know, they were able to get this great vanilla flavor into this stout. That beer doesn't even come close, my beer doesn't come close to rising to that level. 
but that's kind of was the inspiration behind that vanilla, you know, barrel-aged stout. But yeah, when we get inspiration from a lot of places, very seldom will, will we actually go out to copy a beer. It's just about drinking a lot of different styles, visiting breweries, getting inspiration, you know, doing something similar, you know, trying to do, you know, like our peanut butter stout, which is the last bottle on the table, by the way segue into the peanut butter stout <laughs> the uh the peanut butter stout is you know one of those beers that you know we started out it was one of the you know when i when i first met my head brewer kyle siski one of the first questions i ask a guy anytime guys is brewer hey what's your go-to beer to make and he said oh our peanut, my peanut butter stout is awesome i would love to make that beer you know oh that's cool man how do you make that and it's like, well, we use this, you know, PB2, which is powdered, de-oiled peanut butter, just throw it in a stout, and, you know, it's a lot of it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was like, well, that sounds great. Well, the first time we made it, we didn't use enough. You know, we, we actually took the, you know, peanut butter stout, you know, made it with a natural peanut butter, which is de-oiled, and then added a little bit of extract flavor to get the aroma and the flavor to come through. And in the end, as it aged, we ended up not liking it as much. So when we made the next batch, which is the batch we have in the bottle on the table, which is our only our second batch we've ever made, we committed to not using any extract flavors. In all of our beers, we worked very hard to not use any extract flavors in. Um, other than vanilla, vanilla. If you find somebody that does vanilla, that you know, it gets a good vanilla flavor in their beer, then you know, more power to them. Not using an extract, but they went freaking broke trying to do that beer. Super, um, super expensive. A vanilla means you know, seven bucks. If, if I was gonna vanilla age a beer, I'd be you know, you know, eight thousand dollars worth of vanilla beans in a beer. It's just. You know, not uh, not the best idea. It doesn't make sense at that point. Not too profitable. This peanut butter stout that we did, we just we basically you know put just a ton more peanut butter into the stout. We think it came out really well. It actually added a unexpected creaminess to the beer. We were going to save it, but see, you're, you're talking about it so oh, much. Oh hell yeah, so let's we, we got to go into it. it. Yeah. As we're opening up the peanut butter stout, I, I want to circle back to your work with collaboration and promotion of Milwaukee beer. And also your work with, as you had mentioned, the crafter space. Now, this is a unique business that's formed here in Milwaukee that's really helping drive the brands and entrepreneurship of Milwaukee. Yep. Uh, tell us about your interaction with it. One of the cool things about our beer culture in Milwaukee is that we've had some guys step forward to do the crafter space. So John Graham, Kyle Vetter, and Mike Anderson, three guys came together, and their whole idea was, to me, you know, in retrospect, it's just like every other good idea, you know, like those little stupid fidget spinners, you know, it seems like, oh, it's not a great idea, why did I think of it? You know, these guys came forward with an idea that was kind of groundbreaking. The reality is, is they want to take ordinary people who are interested in maybe opening a brewery, take them into their program, teach them a little bit about all aspects of running a brewery, labeling and branding and, you know, recipe development and all those things, and kind of give them a little taste of all those things. Very early on in my thought process to open a brew pub in Milwaukee, which started years ago, but really got serious about it in 2014, 2015. You know, I, I reached out to John Graham, and he and I actually met at Story Hill um, BKC and sat down and had lunch. I bought him lunch one day and said, hey, what do you do with the crafter space? Just a really cool, cool program to get more people involved in creating breweries in Milwaukee. From that relationship that was kindred there at Story Hill, um, he and I have continued to work together. We do once a year during Milwaukee Craft Brewery Week, we do a, a little segment here at the Explorium called, uh, you know, starting a brew pub, risk, reward, and red tape, where I gather a panel of several brewery owners and we sit in front of the room and we get, we last time we had about 30 people bought tickets to attend this little event. And we talked about what does it take to create a new brewery and you know what? What are the what? What's the BS you got to deal with? What's the red tape you got to deal with? What's the stressors? You know, and all those things. Are you sure you want to do this? And we do that, and it segues into hopefully them signing up some people for the crafter space, so that they can get educated, open a brewery in an educated fashion, versus you know stepping off the turnip truck. Daddy's got a bunch of cash, and I'm going to buy some brewing equipment, and I'm going to open another shitty brewery, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> shitty breweries. Frickin' yeah. kill the vibe in the brewing community. I agree. If, you have to have the passion for it, otherwise, why why do you bother? Yep. 
nobody wants to tell you you got a shitty brewery, but it, when you open a shitty brewery, you kill the vibe for everybody, and everybody's like dancing around the subject. Hey, man, you want some help? Blah blah blah. You know, and and quite honestly, as a brewery owner, I have a lot of people that get hold of me and say, Hey, I want to open a brewery, or I want to be a brewer. You know, can you help me? No, I'm not a college. I'm not a campus. I'm a business. You know, I make good beer. You know, I try to keep it that way. We're a professional organization. Um, you wouldn't dream of going to a civil engineering company or, oh, God forbid, an airline and say, <laughs> hey, I want to be an airline pilot. Can you um, put me in the right seat and we're going to take off in a Southwest jet and you teach me how to be an airline pilot while we fly down the fucking byways of the skies? You know, no, it, you would never dream of that, right? You would go to college, you would get some experience, you know, some education as a brewer, then you would go to some program and you get some experience as a brewer. And then you would approach a brewer and say, hey, I got this education, I got this experience, I'd love to fly with you. You know, that's the way it works. And so the crafter space is that first step for people to really try to see if they can cut it or if they want to do it and if they want to go. So great program, very supportive of it. I've told John Graham over and over again, I'd love to have your, you bring your class here. Um, we're a little detached from downtown, so he tends to, you know, to gravitate towards downtown. I get it, you know, and I'm totally cool with that. But uh, I love what they're doing. I'm always here to support. If they ever need a backup, I'm here. To hear what happens when you do approach a brewer and ask to become their brewer right away, Listen back to our Central Waters episode with Simon and his trip and his journey through life and how he actually became the head brewer at Central Waters. And you'll learn, step one, do not talk to a brewery. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, yeah. got to go back and listen to that one because I'm sure I can relate. All right, before we move on, let's let's talk about this uh, this peanut butter stout. So do you guys know who George Washington Carver is? Yes. Absolutely, the inventor of peanut butter. First president. nice all right so if you go back to the civil war era there was all these sharecroppers you know generally freed slaves that were cropping lands they had the desire they had the push they had the land but they had a product that nobody really wanted right so george washington carver went out and he was he was a college professor he was a doctor he found ways to use peanuts so that he could create a market for peanut oil and you know diesel made from peanuts this guy invented thousands of different uses of peanuts but the reality is the most useful one was peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) which is freaking awesome because all these sharecroppers now had a market for their crops so in a little you know homage to his ingenuity and his desire to help people of lesser fortune find fortune we released carver's peanut butter stout this peanut butter stout to me is you know the first i I talked about the first integration earlier you know we i it just didn't have enough peanuts so we added a little peanut extract and whatnot this version which is our second batch we're getting ready to brew our third batch probably in the next six weeks very peanut forward it doesn't have that big peanut nose Okay, I got a little clue for you. Okay, okay. Hey, listeners, if you're looking for a hot tip. Pro tip. If you try a peanut butter beer and it smells really like fucking peanuts, it's an extract. (laughs) Um, Peanuts are very subtle in aroma. You have to crack open a fresh jar of peanuts and put your nose in it to smell peanuts. So if you smell a peanut butter beer that's very big in the nose with peanuts, um, it's most likely an extract flavor, right? We do this beer without an extract flavor. Um, so, I, I mean, I say that because we get some hits on it because, oh, it doesn't smell like peanuts. Well, you know what? It's because we use natural flavorings in this beer. Now, if you have a peanut allergy, I strongly recommend you do not drink this beer. <laughs> there is a lot of fucking peanuts in this beer. Or just drink till you don't feel feelings. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Or your throat closes. But, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, he must have really loved the peanut beer. He's fucking dying. <laughs> He's dying doing what he loved. <laughs> but our goal was to create a peanut beer without any flavoring extract that, you know, kind of grabbed that roastiness of the peanut, tasted like peanut butter, had a little bit of the creaminess. And I, I'll be honest with you, I mean, I'm in love with this beer. It does need to age a little bit when it's fresh. It's a little too roasty for me. And that's the roast malts coming out and that stout. Our, our Three Saints Bay Imperial Stout is a big roast malt backbone and but as it ages that roast malt kind of diminishes the beer that we're drinking um, out of the cellar is probably uh, i think we brewed this beer back in november so we're 
coming up on four months, which is the optimal time to drink this beer. Very, very good. I like, like I said, I'm in love with this beer. This is one of the reasons why my head brewer Kyle. I when I tasted this beer that he made on the homebrew scale, and I was like, man, I need this guy to brew beer with me. Yeah, it's really fantastic. Jesus, what are you what are you getting out of that peanut butter beer? Well, actually, I had to pour a little bit of that coconut porter because the the thing that really hit me on that coconut porter was the nose. And when you think of adjuncts, you know, you, you think you're going to get a little whiff of something. But as you were talking, I'm like, I really had no idea. I mean, if you were just smelling that, you wouldn't know it's peanut butter. Yep. But you really taste that. You get that creaminess, too, of the peanut butter. Yeah, I think it works really well with the no, stuff. It's a very yeah. nice mouthfeel to yeah. it as well. And the aroma for me is what really sells this beer. I get all the peanut butter on the aroma. Really? Yep. See, I, yeah, see I, I do. do. It's, it's, it's really interesting because I would say about 20% of the people that taste this beer say that, oh my God, it's so huge in peanuts. I don't know if I can drink it because it's so big in aroma. To me, when I smell this beer, I don't smell peanuts. I don't smell peanuts at all. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, 60% of the people that smell it don't get the peanut aroma. <laughs> that's weird that you say that. It is. No. All I smell and is that's peanuts why, on And this. that's yeah. why I had to pour that other one because I'm like, I'm not smelling anything on this. So here's here's my challenge. I, I always I always throw this challenge and I do it I do it all the time. I don't know. Maybe other brewers I drive them crazy. I don't know. I mean maybe they just think I'm a fucking asshole. But um, <laughs> that actually is true. Yeah, I know. We talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I do is I like I, I have guys come in all the time. Oh hey, your coconut porter is really good. But you know that that Hiawatha or whatever it is. Hiawatha is the train, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> whatever, whatever that coconut porter is from Maui Brewing. Or City Lights Coconut Porter or whatever Coconut Porter, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's so much better. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I get it, man. You know, everybody's taste is different. So what I suggest is, you know, if you think somebody else's beer is better, bring it in. And we'll have the bartender pour a blind flight and we'll taste all the beers side by side. And, I, I you know, anybody who listens, I challenge you because... Honestly, we do this as brewers. If we're going to brew a coconut porter, we're going to brew a peanut butter stout. We'll put all the beers side by side on a blind flight and we'll taste them. I've done this with our quad. I've done this with our peanut butter. I've done this with our coconut. And when it's blind and you take the branding out, you take the hype out, you take the ratings out, you take all that stuff out and you just taste them all side by side. That's what we do. And we only put out beers on our taps that have passed that test. I, I don't know. I hear it all the time. So we like to switch gears for a little bit here, and we like to talk about social media do's and don'ts. So on, on the don't end, we have Dystopian Brewery out of Washington. <laughs> that was. Yeah. And on the do end, we've, we've, we've got the king of Milwaukee brewery social media, Mike Doble. <laughs> And the whole, not the whole Spanish Eddie fiasco with your rabid fans that you had to calm down from going after him. And we'd also like to update on the globe heist. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are so, killing me. So this the, is breaking news. Yeah, we got, this is the gotcha journalism. <laughs> so the dystopian thing, if you haven't heard the story, you know, go look it up. It was, it was pretty rough. You know, it was a brewery that reacted really badly to an online review. Those guys are dicks, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, they kind of came dicks. off as really bad. You know, there was some homophobic remarks made by the brewery. It was really unfortunate, and it was a, a clear case in what not to do in social media. Yes. And I think the way that uh, you handled the Spanish Eddie situation, if, if you could speak to that, because I think it was, a, it was a perfect do on social media. How, okay. how a brewery should handle that. All right, so first first of all, before I talk about Spanish Eddie, my, my philosophy in life is friends come and go, but enemies accumulate, right? That's <laughs> yes. my quote on Facebook. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I live by. If you go to my high school yearbook, which was like 100 years ago, seems like, um, I graduated in 1987 from high school. If you look at my, my quote in my high school yearbook, it says, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. I've always lived by the philosophy that if you can take those people around you, even those people that are kind of assholes that really don't like you, and make them your friends, then your life will be a richer place, right? Spanishetti, or Adam Carraway, a.k.a. Spanishetti, um, 
Not to call them out. One, yeah. two, three, four, North Main Street. <laughs> you douchebag. <laughs> yeah, so that douchebag, he... Um, no, I'm just kidding. Adam is well-known in the in the beer geek community. He said some things on social media. He said something like, tell Mike Doble, you know, it's just another shit brewery following a shit trend. Tell Mike Doble to take his douchiness somewhere else. Blah, blah, blah. Something like that, It was right? all around the uh, white stout. Is yeah, what he yeah. Had some kind of an issue with. So we, we made a white stout. It's kind of like making a um, a black IPA, a black India pale ale. Pale refers to it being lighter in color. What the fuck ever, dude? Yeah. It's a fermented malt beverage. Yeah. Drink know? it, right? <laughs> so anyway, he said that at first, you know, of course I saw red. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, who the frick is this guy? You know, who knows this guy? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, the reality is, is I just took a deep breath and I'm like, you know what? The guy's probably drinking some beer, probably saying some things. What I would say is talking out his ass, you know, and... I kind of just like, okay, take a deep breath. It's not that big of a deal. The reality, though, is is I, I just kind of copied his post and posted it on my social media, and I said, this is what I have to deal with sometimes. Well... A lot of my, a lot of my fans, fans not fans of me, but fans of my brewery, jumped on board and started, you know, beating on the guy pretty hard. You do have a loyal following the, out there. Yeah. Very hard. Rabbit, <laughs> yeah, some rabbit fans, yeah. which is really, really gratifying. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I, I don't expect anything from anybody, you know. Well, we'll, and get, was, we'll get to the globe heist in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> how rabbit your fans are. <laughs> so yeah, so they jumped on him pretty hard, and actually after. After a while, I started, honestly, I kind of started feeling a little bad because I know that this guy sees all this stuff. Just to spare you the gory details, I got a message from the guy saying, hey, man, it's been a shitty, you know, and I'm like, oh, hey, dude, what's up? <laughs> How things going? When's your next visit? He goes, well, I'm changing my four tires because they've been slashed, and, you know, I, <laughs> I want to come to apologize, but I can't right now. But, you know, the reality was, he's just like, ah, oh, just, you know, I was drinking. and so, You know, whatever. So the bottom line is, is I said, well, you know, it's just interestingly enough, the next day I was doing a Facebook Live with uh, Matt Jensen, who does the State of Craft Beer book, and who's a super good dude. This book is awesome. Um, if you haven't bought a copy, you should have it. No, he's great. Uh, we actually interviewed him at the Wisconsin Beer Lovers Fest right up, at, uh, up at Bayshore Mall last year. That was a yeah, yeah. He, real fun guy. He did a great job with that book. He got some, I mean, just very talented guy he was doing a facebook live the next day and i was on the schedule for three o'clock so i just kind of nonchalantly put it on a facebook hey man if you got a hair on your ass you know you would meet me at enlightened brewing to do this podcast with me and you know we'd, we'll talk about it on the air you know kind of throwing the gauntlet down a little bit um in the end we both arrived about a half hour early we got pretty hammered I think we, he, he brought beer he did to, bring beer to, to actually the, the he, he he brought more than just beer he brought probably some of the best beers on the planet oh shit with him so so adam came to this event a little sheepish and i met him and we talked a little bit he goes hey man i'm really sorry and i brought you know to make up let's sit down and drink some beer and you know and i'm all about community being built around sitting down and settling our differences over beer i mean that's like my mantra right that and is the definition of mea culpa right? yes absolutely <laughs> saying sorry over beer i yeah, believe oh. is actually the definition oh yeah no absolutely and he brought a vertical flight of a beer called sticky monkey you guys familiar with this beer? Oh, oh, yeah. oh yes, yeah. Yeah. The Monkey. Yeah, yeah, I know. So he brought a 2015, a 2016, 2017 Sticky Monkey, which is a barrel-aged quad Firestone Walker. He cracked the first bottle and handed it over to me and says, here you go. And I'm like, dude, okay, apology accepted. Let's sit down and drink. <laughs> and we did. And, you know, we drank this vertical, the two of us, mind you, drank a three-year vertical flight of Sticky Monkey. <laughs> feeling pretty good. And we were feeling pretty good. And then we went on this the air. before your, your interview. <laughs> so by the time we got on the air, we were like bosom buddies yeah. and, you know, hey man, I love you. There's no heat here, man. <laughs> no, it was, all, it was all good. To me, you know, he said some stupid things. It's regrettable on his part. He's lucky he wasn't in the same room with me when he said him because I probably would have kicked his ass. But <laughs> since we didn't, I, we both had a time to cool down and we drank some beer. It was actually all right, you know? you know. And for people watching on the outside, you know, what we saw was a big blow up. And then what we saw afterwards is pictures of you guys like hanging out. I think you brought him to the Exploria Brew Pub at one point and yeah, he was pouring some beers yeah. and, you know, he had a, <laughs> he had a little name tag on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it basically, you you took an enemy and made him a fan and a friend of the brewery. Yeah, and, no, and, and that is definitely the way to do it on on social media. Yeah, yeah, no, and he's a he's a super good guy. I mean, in the end, he was re- he regretted what he said. You know, we had him as a guest bartender. We made him us explore him. Name tag is said Spanish Eddie. But Adam Adam's an all right guy. He's now a friend for life. And rather than me, me saying you know bad things about him, now when I see him, I'll still call him a douche. But <laughs> <laughs> that's what friends do, right? But that's what friends do. So we we are now bonded over a vertical flight of Sticky Monkey, yeah. and I'll never forget it. Well, no. speaking of actual douches, let's talk about the great globe heist of 2017. Because <laughs> our listeners need to know what exactly happened there, and and what was the uh, what was the social media impact of uh, of your presence out there? Oh yeah, so 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 here's the thing. We um, you know right before we opened in 2017, it was middle of January 2017. We're trying to get this place open. It was wicked stressful trying to get all everything done. My my wife went to the store. I think she went to American Supply and Surplus or something. Found this kind of cool, you know, vintage looking globe. It wasn't expensive or anything. She brought it in and goes, "Hey, we need to put some globes." In. So she brought this globe in and we had it on our front display. And on New Year's Eve, some guy came in and you know snatched our globe. The reality is, is you know, like any modern business, we have cameras in 16 different locations. We caught the guy on very high definition video. I was, it wasn't like it was a big deal, like he stole a lot from us, but it was just kind of the audacity and kind of the douchiness of you know him taking our globe. So we, uh, well, so I, you know, I watched the video too, and it was like a ten-minute process. It was like uh, moving towards the globe, backing away, backing away. Somebody's watching. All right, here we go towards the globe. How, like, he what, really wanted that. Globe. What did, did this globe look he like? Until there were no servers in sight. <laughs> it wasn't a special globe by any means. So this is so this is New Year's Eve, about nine, about you know eight forty-five, nine o'clock. The band was setting up. We had a live music in here on New Year's Eve. The band was setting up and. You know, so so we didn't have a hose. The servers were kind of doing their thing, and they're behind the hose stand, you know, on their phones. I'm sure, <laughs> which is strictly against the rules. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, the dude, you know, copped our globe. You know, whatever. You know, my wife's like, you know, on Thursday the following week. So where's our globe? I haven't seen our globe. You know, so I'm I'm pretty. She high. notices the globe. Yeah, no, I know. So I'm pretty skilled at going back in the videos and say, okay, the globe's there, the globe's there. The say, globe's how there. many oh, hours of missing. footage did you, you have know? to roll back through to, to find that two, globe? Three. Dude, it took me it took me literally like five minutes to nice find the dude. So anyway, I found the dude. I took a clip. I posted it online and just said, hey, if anybody's seen this douchebag, let me know. And well, it blew up. I mean, we had probably thirty thousand views of that video. I had five hundred shares by all of our you know kind of loyal fans and it's not like it was a big deal a big monetary loss or anything but people are just like man it's a violation don't be a douche don't be a douche it's nothing sacred a man's globe can't even hang out in his brewery anymore you know so to top it all off it would which which kind of cool i mean very gratifying is we actually had a uh, one of our regular customers actually a guy that does my tours when i'm not available he actually made a wanted poster and that's still hanging up you know (laughs) and i'm like justice is best served cold with a side dish of public shaming Um, (laughs) so we got that so we got that poster up um and then uh, right at our anniversary party about a week and a half ago a bunch of mug club members and regular customers got together and they actually bought us a globe that looks very similar and they presented that to us at the one year anniversary which was kind of cool you know a cool closure um i'm still gonna find this asshole though one day i'll come across this guy but you know kind of a cool closure to this well just let us know when the posse forms we will be <laughs> lead deputies <laughs> you, you, you know what you know what's really funny you know talking about the spanish anything in the social media adam posted that and everybody was on him and you know well you know people were unfriending him and everything on social media and then when the guy took the globe they're like somebody commented it was the funniest thing ever i was sitting in my easy chair about midnight and i'm just laughing my ass off somebody said all spanish eddie did was comment on one of your beers (laughs) this guy's gonna need witness protection (laughs) i thought that was just hilarious yeah just really speaks to the the rabid nature of your fans yeah no we have some good people that like our beer 
I want to talk about uh, what's coming up for 2018, but before uh, you answer that, I just want to say that when we uh, were first communicating and I sent you a message on Twitter and I didn't know it was you, I said, this is probably, you know, if you can pass this on the mic and you're like, I have no people, I am the person. <laughs> so I just want you to know that, you know, as we're talking about social media and all this stuff that's going on, you are the guy that kind of works on that. So that's pretty cool. You know, if people want to communicate with Explorium, it's you. Yeah, I mean, so, if people, so if somebody's going to call me a douche, I'm going to see it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so no, I, I, I do, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I really enjoy that aspect of this job. You know, day-to-day, I really don't have a day-to-day job. You know, I have a bar manager, a front of house manager, I have a chef, I have all these people. My chef does some posting, you know, my bar manager does some posting and whatnot. If somebody wants to talk to me on social media or somebody wants to post about a beer and has a question, you know, I'm typically the guy who's answering. I don't have social media people. And, and to me, that's kind of the fun part of it, you know? I mean, that's, you know, interfacing with people that are curious about my brand is a really cool thing. A lot of fun. Tell us about the next coming year. I mean, we're just starting. So what are your big plans coming uh, 2018? So 2018 is our second year in business. In the first 12 months, we made 70 different beers. And uh, that was, you know, a bit of a challenge. So it was more than one beer a week. You know, if people follow our social media, they probably already see my my trend. I'm kind of pushing our cocktail program a little bit. I'm kind of highlighting to people that, you know, we don't we're just not a one-trick pony. We don't do just beer. You know, I'm I'm doing a $4 cocktail every week. So we have a new cocktail every week that we're doing for 4 bucks so people can try that out. We do have a lot of new beers coming. We have a Schwarz beer which we've never done before. Dark Helmet from Titletown is one of my favorite beers locally. <laughs> we're doing a Schwarza beer that I hope is as good as uh, Titletown's Dark Helmet. So we're, we got all this all this stuff coming. We're revising our menu. We're doing getting into some new food options. You know, one of the things that we we started out with a with a massive menu, parted it down, and as we got more popular, we kind of built it back up. We got some new uh, some new things coming. As far as beer goes, it's it's hard because the uh, the creative on beer is so uh, so difficult to try something new. That every time you try something that you think is new, people kind of kind of think that maybe you're copying somebody else. And the reality is, is we sit down, we drink beer, we get inspiration, and we create whatever comes naturally. So I'm hoping that uh, after the after 2018, I mean 2017, we did 70 different beers. I'm hoping after 2018. We got about about another 40, 50 more. So any uh, special releases then in the pipeline for the first half of 2018, let's say? All right, so the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind, special release-wise, is uh, we took our quad, we put it in some bourbon barrels, we threw in some cherries and vanilla. So we have this great bourbon barrel-aged cherry vanilla quad coming. That's going to be released on Valentine's Day, which is, uh, what, a week from tomorrow. So that's coming up very soon. We have our s'mores porter, a full batch of our s'mores porter coming very soon. We have a Polish lager coming out, the Schwarze beer, so a bunch of new stuff coming out in the next. So as we wrap up here, Mike, I want to thank you again for tonight's evening, sharing your cellar with us. And we also really need to point out, you're the first brew pub that we've interviewed tonight, and you've got some amazing <laughs> food. And a lot of beer-inspired food and food that has beer ingredients in it. So we encourage all our listeners to come out, get some food, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Thank you, give, man. Give your chef a shout-out. You yeah. actually yeah, stole so, the chef from somebody. Yeah, so our, our, our chef is highly invested in this place. Um, you know, I talked about Kyle Siski, our head brewer. A lot of people that have brewed beer in Milwaukee know him because he worked at Northern Brewer for so long. But our chef is a home brewer in his own right, and uh, he comes up with a lot of good ideas uh, for our beers. I actually met him when he was the chef at the packing house. I was able to entice him away from the packing house with a promise of helping us develop the beer program and quality assurance and the guy drinking in the day a lot of day drinking <laughs> a lot of day drinking but uh no chef nick Sheeler is uh, is awesome uh, the packing house is probably sad to lose him um although they gained a really great chef in their own right he's really the driving force behind our menu the guy does a really great job uh, speaking of that you know you talked about new beers we got new menu coming out by the end of february as well well I- i'll tell you what this interview has been a fun ride and uh, we really appreciate you sitting down with us, Mike, and talking through the entire brewery, talking through the uh, the brew pub aspect of it, the social media aspect of it. It's 
seems like you have a hand in every single aspect of this brewery, and, and that's fun to see. No, it's, it's really my pleasure. Anytime you guys want to come back and your listeners want to hear me rattle, let's, let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we will take you up on that. But uh, it looks like we are out of beer for now. So, uh, so Cheers, for me, guys. Cheers. 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 So for me, for Alex. For Andy. <laughs> I'm Jim. Asus. And I'm Mike. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been a solid non-fail production. <laughs>